0: Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. Amen. Again, thank you for being here and for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we're going to continue in the series on victory. We've been talking, we started on Easter uh, looking at victory and how we can have a victorious life. Uh, I don't know about you, but there's been so many times, so many circumstances in life where I'm thinking, man, I'm a Christian and God's Word talks about all these good things and I just, I feel defeated. I don't feel like I'm, the oomph just isn't there. And so these last several weeks we've been talking about victory uh, and we're going to continue that this morning. Uh, We're actually continuing what I thought might be a one-week sermon that ended up being now two weeks because I did not get through it last week. And so I'm going uh, to jump back in a little bit into where we were last week, and then we'll continue forward this morning. We're going to be out of Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're looking at starting in verse 28. We'll go through the end of that chapter this morning and uh, looking at the thought of being conformed to His image. And so... We've been looking, if you've not been with us, we're again looking at the thought of victory. And it was a couple weeks ago, inside of the series, we looked at Romans 5, and inside of Romans 5 it said that we would glory in tribulation. Uh, And I've made reference that nobody really gets really, really excited when things don't go the way that we want. Not many of us in the room are like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm so glad that all these trials have come my way and that life just haven't has not been smooth not many people get excited about those things however inside of that we've been looking at God's word says that we should glory in it God's word says as we've been talking that we would have victory in our lives and we all know that those tribulations those trials those circumstances all of those things are a part of every day we all face it I remember being in college, and uh, I went to Liberty University, and Dr. Falwell always used to say, you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or you're about to be in one. And you think, when I was a college kid, I'm like, that's encouraging. (laughs) Like, today I'm on the mountaintop, but guess what? Tomorrow I might not be. Or maybe today you're in the middle of the valley, and tomorrow you're going to be at the mountaintop. We're always in those situations, because trials in life, affect all of us in different ways and so when we started this last week we're going to look at several different things last week we started with the first thought of being having purpose what is the purpose in our Christian lives why are we here why did God create us and we kind of went through a lot of that but in a nutshell it was this God created you and I to be in relationship with him and the more that we grow in that relationship, the more that we can understand that God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is to know you in a more intimate way, when we come through the trials, and we go through the tribulations, a lot of those things begin to not become easier. The hurt is still real. The tears are still real. The things that we face are still going to be real. God created us with emotion. However, what we begin to see is, the, the, the hardship that I'm facing is really doing something. I'm, God is moving, God is molding, and, and for whatever reason I can look and I can think, okay, the relationship, it's, I know that this is a relationship, and in that relationship I'm being drawn closer to Him. And so we talked about the purpose, and then we came to where we'll start today. We looked at being conformed to His image, understanding the path, understanding the path that God has for us. And so I'm going to start with Romans chapter 8 this morning. If you have your Bible, I'm going to read uh, just two verses, and then we'll jump into the the others um, as we continue to go through the sermon this morning. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to look at verse 28, and it says this, For "...and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, we also predestinate." to to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Father God, I ask you this morning that you would, again, as I I pray every day, I pray as I speak on a weekly basis, God, that you would use your words to pierce the hearts of man. God, this isn't about me standing up here, but God, it's your word, and Lord, I pray that I would uh, portray it in such a manner. God, would you use the word of God To move this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're looking at being conformed to His image. We're going to talk here initially in the the path. And some of this will be repetitive for some of you that were here last week. Maybe you were asleep during this point anyways. So it'll be um, the first time that you've heard it. Though you've sat in the chair twice. It's going to be a good one. Um, The path. We know that we are being conformed to his image. And as we looked at this, and as we were looking at this, one of the things that this, how this happens in Colossians chapter three and verse four says, when Christ, who is our life. So when we look at these things and when God is conforming us, God is molding us. And as we go through this this path of life, that we understand that this relationship, I'm striving in this relationship. And if you were here last week, I made reference to that we are to be maturing in our walk with God. And each one of these steps is really a maturing point. And so I made reference that we would start with the milk. God's word speaks of that very clearly, that we would go from the milk to the meat of the word of God. And so as little babies, they start with the milk. And, and little by little, as they begin to grow, they need more than just milk. And so then you begin to give them Some type of an oatmeal or some type of a baby food, the cereals and different things. And you add the milk in and you mix it all up. And then from there it goes into, now you're taking the the baby food out of the jar and you're giving it to them, which is disgusting. And then you go from there and you're now taking the food that you make on the plate that you are eating and you begin to chomp it up. And you make it really, really small so they can eat it. And each one of those processes is a little bit different. So their stomachs can begin to to carry and handle those food and and that food. And it helps in their nutrition, nutrition. They're able to grow to the point that they can now eat what you eat. Maybe (laughs) if you have children, they're like, I don't want to eat that. But spiritually speaking it's the same thing if we're not maturing and we're not growing if Christ as it says who is my life as those things are not taking place then the maturing process isn't taking place and there's a lot of things in my life that I go why would you do this God but God is desiring that we would walk with him we would mature with him and as I have studied, and as I have read, and as I am trying to grow, one of the things that was comforting to me was understanding that God, it says in that passage, that God is working all things to good for those that love and are called. And so we look at this. I don't know what that is. Is that me? Daniel, it's you. Like, don't look at me. Um, but as I have grown in my life, one of the things for me that has been encouraging is this. It's having an understanding That the things that God is doing in my life are not just to make things perfect today. But it's for the plan that He has for tomorrow. So sometimes things happen and I have to come to the understanding that God might not be doing that for right this moment. But it's in that moment as I'm maturing and growing and I'm walking with Him that I then begin to see some of the things that are taking place in the future. Does that make sense? Because here's what I want in my personal life. Maybe I'm different from you, but here's what I want. I want it to be good today. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not there yet. I want it to be good today. But God's plan isn't necessarily that everything would be perfect today. It's a conforming process. It's a process of getting you from point A to point B to point C and so on and so forth. And as we look at that, it was, it's been comforting to me to think not everything is just for today. And as I'm maturing in my walk, as I understand the purpose, it is the relationship. As we go through all of these things, as I stated last week, I can have a better understanding, one, of what a victorious life looks like. But in the midst of my trial, Job said it this way, though he may slay, though he slay me yet, will I trust him? I can have a better understanding of how in the midst of that I could say that as I'm walking, I'm maturing, I have a relationship with God. A quick refresher would be this from last week. I asked this question, would you grow in any aspect of your life without having a need? Would you grow in any aspect of your life without having a need? And as we look at that thought, I'll use this illustration. I was once a child, as all of you were. I have four of my own at this time. Dinner time is not always the easiest in any family's home if you have children. Amen. Do You know why? Because they don't recognize the need of what they're about to do. When I was a kid, here's what I wanted to do. Just give me a ball and let me go outside and play. I don't care if I ate lunch, breakfast, dinner. I don't care if I ate anything for the rest of my life. I have a ball. I've got a hoop. I've got a ball. I've got a glove. I've got a bat. I've got a football. We've got a couple guys. We're gonna do- That's all that I wanted to do. I didn't care about lunch. I didn't care about any of those things. So here's what we would get every once in a while. One of the parents would come outside and say, hey, guys, here's at least some water. Or why don't you take a minute and eat a sandwich? See, we don't stop to eat when you're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. You don't stop to eat. you got things to do. My kids, when it's time to eat, hey, let's go down and eat they will take their half of a bite and they'll be like, oh, I'm so full. Can I go play again? No, you've got to eat because eating is what's going to give you the energy to be able to play. If you don't eat, you don't play. Not because you're in trouble, because you will fall over. They don't get the need of that. When I was 15 years old, I was playing baseball in Tennessee. I was in a tournament and it became apparent to me at 15 years old everything that everybody had always told me all my life it's hot outside you need to drink you need to eat properly you need to do all of these things i'm rounding home or i'm rounding third i'm going home i slide in i don't get up i'm hurting i had blacked out Do you know why because i didn't do the things that i needed to do for my body physically it was hot outside yeah, we had the towels that were in the water and we put them over our heads and we would get a swig of drink when we came in and we would do all of those things. But here's what I quickly found out. It's not that I have to be healthy in that moment. I have to be healthy leading up to that moment. So the night before, I probably should have drank a whole lot more liquid than I did. The night before, I should have probably done some of those things. As opposed to laying on the dirt at home plate being a little bit fuzzy of what's going on and kind of staggering back to the dugout because I had basically had a heat stroke. I probably should have thought of that before. Do you guess what never happened to me ever again? I never did that again. Because I didn't understand the need. And spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. We have to come to a place where I see the need. First and foremost, I see the need of a Savior. So we looked at that victory in, in the resurrection of who that is as the Savior. But I have to come to that place. And here's what that looks like. 1 Corinthians 3, I read this last, last week in verse 21. Let no man glory in men. I cannot glory in just myself. I have to see the need of a Savior. Listen, if you've never come to the point where you've seen a need of a Savior, that would be a part of why you're here today. You're searching for something. You came with a friend. Somebody invited you, whatever that is. But most of you in this room would say, well, yeah, I've come to a place where I've recognized I have a need of a Savior. I have a need for salvation. I have an understanding that there is sin in my life. And this morning, as we look at this under, this passage, God is causing uh, all things to work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. God is sovereign, and in His plan, all of these pieces are working together. For his purpose, but it's a part of our maturing. It's a part of our understanding my relationship. Philippians 1 says being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, when you began to understand the need or maybe some of you are here today and you're searching this out and you're seeing, man, I have a need. I have an emptiness in my soul. There's something missing in my life. I've got money, I've got cars, I've got toys, I've got a house, I've got got a girlfriend, I've got a boyfriend, I've got a husband, I've got a wife, I've got children, whatever it is, but I'm missing something in my life. At that moment, God is tugging on you, and He is allowing you to see a need that you have inside of you, spiritually speaking, He is beginning something in you. And listen, if God is going to begin it in you, I promise you, He will complete it. And God's Word tells us that. We look at that throughout Scripture in the Old Testament. How long did the children of Israel wander in the desert? Forty years. Forty years the children of Israel wandered. There was a lot of hard times in there. As a part of that, there was also victory at the end at times. Think about Jacob and Joseph and all of the different stories throughout the Old Testament. All those different stories of men. Jacob lost his son, or so he thought, right? Right? Joseph was sold into slavery. His brothers sold him into slavery like some of you might want to sell sell your siblings. But anyway, they took Joseph. They sold him into slavery. They came back. They had the coat of many colors. They give it to dad and they say, hey, he died. Dad is mourning. Dad is hurting. Well, we know the story. Most of you know the story. What happens? Long story short would be Joseph was the one who did what? He eventually saved their family. He eventually brought them to a place where they needed to be. That was a hardship for years and years and years. God had a plan. It wasn't necessarily for the perfection of just right now. But down the road, there was a plan. There was a reason. They they didn't know that there was going to be a famine in the land. They didn't know all these different things. However, those were things that happened. God had started something and he was going to finish it. Paul says in Corinthians, don't lose heart some of you right now you're sitting you're in the middle of all of these things that we're talking about right now life is hard you're trying to understand the purpose you're trying to understand the relationship you're going after it you're trying to read you're trying to pray you're trying to be around christian friends and brothers you're trying you're trying you're trying you're trying trying. listen god's word says don't lose heart i could even tell you these encouraging words it might not even get easier It may not. But I do know this. I know that God is working in all of this for your good and for his glory. But sometimes it's hard. Don't lose heart. God is working at all these things. Philippians 2 and verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is working in and around us. Uh, God is working that that we would see our need of Him. God is doing all of these things. He might be showing you areas of your life that you've completely neglected. God, why would you allow this to happen to me? It may be that it was just that thing that caused you to look at God again. God, what is this? And it may not be even a bad thing. Have you ever had things going, going good in life? And you just saw, like you just, I don't want to say that you felt, but you began to see things in your life. And you're like, wow, I need to really get rid of this thing. I need to stop doing that. I need to get rid of this. I need to, I, why? Because God is showing you all of those things. And I'll promise you, even if you're seeking after Christ and things are going good in your life, as God begins to say, hey, you probably shouldn't say that. You probably shouldn't watch that. You probably shouldn't do that. Sometimes it's really difficult. Because as we grow in relationship, we see a greater need for him that I am drawing closer to him. And in that, he is maturing me piece by piece by piece. When you were 20 years old, there are certain circumstances or th- certain things that came up in your life. Guess what we do when we're 20 years old? We have no thought of anything. Let's just go. We're going to fight this thing. We act most of the time, at 20 years old, before we think, right? Maybe you're better than me, but when I was 20 years old, I could take on the world. So I thought, you know, now that I'm much older and much wiser, (laughs) no, you know, today I'm I'm 37 years old, and you know, when I was 20, there were certain things that came in my life I didn't even think about, I just acted and did it. You put that same exact situation in my life today, and guess what? I'm going to step back. I'm going to analyze it a little bit different. I'm going to assess the situation, and then I'll do go ahead and I'll move forward and make a decision. Because as we mature, we look at things different. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives. As we mature, the situation may be horrendous. It may be horrible. But just like Job, Job was in a horrible situation. He was losing everything that he had. But guess what? In that, he had a relationship with God. He saw it in a different manner because he had maturity in his life. And in that maturity, he was be, he was able then to say, God, I, I don't like this, but I'm following after you. I'm seeking after you. And so when we look at all these things, let me say this as I go to this next point this morning. I really do. I need to go to a handheld. Um, I don't like handheld mics. Actually, give me that one just because it's already sorry. So. God is working in us, he's working around us, he's allowing us to see these different things And as we look at this, here's here's something that it may be something that you write down that you have to think about a little bit. But you and I must have a will to believe and to receive what God is giving to us. But it is imperative that we understand there are things that we can't do. Victory over sin isn't me plus God, but it is God plus my receiving. And that is hard. Victory over sin, it's not me plus God it is all God and it is me accepting it's me receiving the fact that God is trying to do something with me does that make sense but here's my problem I keep thinking that I have to do it I have to I have to do all these things it's me believing and having trust and faith in his word and in the work of his son on the cross and his forgiveness and in that his conforming us to himself as we go into this next point It is you and I understanding, again, the purpose. Why are we here? What is God doing? It is understanding this purpose that God desires to have relationship with you and I. And in that process, he is going to mature us and he is going to make us and mold us and conform us. And he's constantly doing that through the path. And as all of these things are working together, it is doing something that we don't necessarily see in the here and now, but it's doing something and he's completing us. He's making you and I conform to his image, which long term is complete in him. This morning, the second point is this. It is complete in him. As we understand the purpose of relationship, we grasp that God is conforming us to his image. We can begin to see that we are complete in him. As we attempt. This was supposed to be in last week's sermon. So aren't you glad that it wasn't? You'd still be here. Um, as we attempt to kind of close out this thought. In conforming to him. We're conforming to His image, and we see that we are complete in Him. That He has done a mighty work. That He has justified. That He is sanctifying us. He is working in us now. He has called you righteous. He has redeemed you. He was our propitiation. That is, that He was the satisfaction. Uh, What He did upon the cross was the only thing that was satisfactory in my salvation. It was my propitiation. Jesus, on the cross, satisfied his death satisfied for my salvation. Romans 8:31 says those who are called those he justified those he justified he glorified. And listen, I'm going to say this and then I'm going to move on with it because I'm going to be done with it. This whole passage of scripture, a lot of you are probably going, how is he going to speak on this passage of scripture? It says foreknowledge. It says predestination. It says called. It says predestination again. It says foreknowledge. It says predestination. Listen real quick, and I'm going to give you my answer, and then we can move forward. Does God know all things? Yes, he does. Does God know what you're going to do today, tomorrow, in the future? Yes, he does. Did it catch you off guard? Did, God, did it catch God off guard that you said yes to God in salvation? No, it did not. Do I believe that God predestines you to hell? No, I do not. Do I believe that God foreknows? Yes, I do. If God does not know, then that means God is not God, and God is not all-knowing, all knowing, and God is not all-powerful, and God is not all of these things. So I say all that to say this. I'm not getting into the predestination conversation and argument I do believe this. It is very, very, very clear in God's word that he has a knowledge of what's happening. Yay? He also has given us a choice. He gave Adam and Eve a choice in the garden. Yes or no? Did they choose sin? They chose sin. So I'm not going to argue over those things. I wish I could say, here is the answer. You find the theologian that can give me the perfect answer and give you the perfect answer. I would love to see it, because I've read a lot of them, and none of them can give you the perfect answer. I know for a fact that God is all-knowing and all-powerful and all, all, all of those things. One day, I'll have a better understanding of that. Today, I'll be real honest. I don't, and in that, that's, this is probably a really bad answer to all of this, but in that, because nobody knows, here's what I will do. I will bank on the fact that God is sovereign, that God knows all things, And that in that I can trust. So that's my predestination rant for, there you go. Are we good? Good. So in that, we look at this passage of scripture. It says those he called, those he justified, those he justified, he glorified. And here's where this is. When we look at being complete in God, that the holy spirit when it says that he has called the holy spirit did this in each and every one of you if you know jesus christ actually if you're living and if, if you're sitting in here today god has called you in some way shape or form to be in this room because the holy spirit has worked within you whether you know christ or you don't know christ the holy spirit began to tug upon your heart and for whatever reason you responded and he brought you here Okay, So the Holy Spirit has called. He has worked in all of us. And so when we look at this passage, it's talking about those that know Christ as Savior, those that are saved, those that are sanctified. And we looked at that. We're looking, and we're going that God called. At one point in my life as a child, God called me, and he said, Aaron, he's going to call me up. He's going to pull me out of that miry clay, and he, 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 he made me whole. In that, it says God called me and brought me in. And then it says that he justified, therefore that I am made right. and my standing before God, I am right. I am righteous. I am justified, just as if I've never sinned. I said that last week. And so he called me out of sin. He brought me to a place where I recognized my need of a Savior, and he justified me. He made me whole. He made me complete. And we know that in that one day, he is going to glorify me and glorify me in my body. One day I'm going to stand before God, and my body is going to be new. I understand those things through Scripture. And as we look at this, we look at this passage of Scripture. I am complete in Him. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are what? Complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. If you know Christ today as your Savior, you are complete in Him. There is no need to look anywhere else. There is no need to do anything. It says that we are in Him, that we are bound in Him. He is holding us. We are, again, in Him. I am complete in Him. Not only that, it says that I am, I am made complete. You and I have all that we need for today. And when we stand before the Lord, we have everything that we would need then. We are currently being conformed. We are being perfected to be more and more like Him as we live daily. But spiritually speaking, I can stand before God complete in Him. I don't know that this is the best illustration, but this was the illustration that came to my mind when I was thinking of this. On July twentieth, two 2002, my wife and I stood in a, in a church building. Not quite like this, but something like this. And we stood before a pastor. That pastor has the legal authority to say these two. He has the authority to bring the marriage, to consummate the marriage legally. And we stood on that day, July 20th, 2002. Right? Good. <laughs> July 20th, 2002. And I'll tell you, the, the short story behind that, we were trying to figure out the date, and here's why I came up with that. I came up with that date, and here's why. 2002. I didn't have to remember too much. Get it? Because it's, it's 2000. And anyway. So I remember that date. But here's the, here's the reality. In that moment, legally speaking, we were complete in marriage. There was nothing else that I had to do. We did not then have to go before the judge. Because that was already taken care of. I didn't have to go before every person within the church body or within anybody else. I did not have to go to my parents to get a signing off. I didn't have to do it. Any- we were legally complete in marriage. There was nothing else that we ever had to do. When I, when I was a young man or a young boy, said yes to God and I asked Jesus to come into my heart and I I accepted the need of my Savior and I, I realized that, I was complete in Him. I stood in right standing legally before God. There was nothing else that I had to do. Listen, today, nearly some 30 years later, I don't have to do any more to stand before God and be complete in Him. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is the kicker for me. If Mindy and I would have just gotten married and never seen each other ever again, do you realize today we'd still legally be married? But there would be no extra growth. There would be no blessing to the marriage. There would be none of the things that make the marriage what a marriage is intended to be. But yet we are legally married. We are complete in that legal bond. And when it comes to Christ, God says that we are complete in him, legally standing before God. I am complete in him. But it's the maturing in the relationship that changes everything. Second Corinthians five says, "If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That is everything, everything that we had ever done was now wiped away, and God made us. He packaged us. He gave us a complete, brand-new person. I am a new creation is what it is. I am a new creation. God's given me. One day you're going to get to heaven. If you know Christ the Savior, you're going to get to heaven, and God's going to give you a new name that nobody else knows. Why? He's made you new. We are completely new in Him. We are complete in Him. I've come to understand I don't have to work more to be more complete before God. What I do have to do is continue to grow in this process, in this path. I have to walk by faith. I have to receive that which God has given and is giving. I have to take that which has been given to me and accept it. I deal with people on a regular basis and hear so many times, but this. But, well, pastor, but you don't understand all of this. No, 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 no. God made you new. All of this is gone. We, as people, have to accept what God has done, that it is complete, and press on. I have to accept that God forgives sin. I have to accept that God wants to use me, somebody that I would look in the mirror and I would say, man, I have failed so many different times. I've not been the right husband. I've not been the right father. I've not been the right pastor. I've not been the right man. And I look in the mirror and I see all of this stuff. I have to understand that God accepts me, that God is using me. And I have to accept that by faith that he is who he says that he is. Here's what we do, and here's what I do. I struggle so bad as I go, but I have to do all of these things. No, I am complete in Him. I've been made complete. But I continue to walk. I continue to grow. We must, listen to this, I've been given the gift in faith. I must accept it through knowing Him, which comes from the Holy Spirit, which indwells us. We must receive, not produce. We must receive, not produce. Take God's word. Drink it up. Take it, all of it. The Bible tells us, and this is, this is so vital to, I, I believe this is so vital. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Stop and think about that. Our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if I, we take all this, go way back to the beginning. If my, my, my reason for being here is that I would be in relationship to God, And then from that point until the point that God calls me home to glory and I'm going to have a brand new glorified body and I get to glory in that with God. All throughout that, there's a process. There's a path that's going on and there's going to be hard times and there's going to be good times. And there's going to be all of these different things, this roller coaster of life that we have to face. But here's the issue. Here's the issue. If we don't have the relationship and there's no maturing process, how does faith happen? I just said it. How does faith happen? By hearing what? The word of God. But if I don't have a relationship, then I don't have the word of God living in me because it's not doing, because I don't know it. So how can I have faith? The only way to have faith is to know God daily. It's to study the word. It's to live the word. It's to do everything. It's not, I'm not going to bed and all of a sudden God's like, ooh. There you go. No, he gives us his Holy Spirit. But if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, when the hard times come, guess what I really struggle with? Having faith that God is who he says that he is. I have a hard time trusting God. I have a hard time why? Because I don't know the Word of God, which is what gives me the faith that I have to need to do what God's called me to do. Does that make sense? It's not a beaten up thing. But it's a part of the relationship that God is desiring to have within us. He wants to know you. He wants to know me. And as I look through these different things, if God's word is what gives me faith, but I neglect God's word and I put it off on the shelf over here, and I ever every every Sunday I might pick it up, or maybe I don't even pick it up. I just leave it sit over there because now I got a cool computer on my phone that I pull it up every once in a while and I'll just flip through. The, the app on my phone on Sunday morning. And then I wonder, well, why is it so tough to make this decision? Because I don't have faith. Why? Because I don't know the Word of God, because it's not, yeah, if you know Christ, the Holy Spirit's living in you, but the Word of God is not agitating inside of you all the time. And guess what really stinks? When that struggle comes and that hardship comes, now I go, but God, what am I going to do? How do I do this? I'll guarantee you this. The, sh- the strongest Christian in this room, when life hits you, you're going to say some of those, thing, those same exact words. You're going to say, God, I don't know what to do right now. But here's the difference. You know God. And you have a faith. And as much as you're struggling through it at that moment, you still stand that God is who God says he is. He is sovereign. He is just. And I know that he's going to walk me through this. So if you take out the faith, you take out the word of God, you take out the strongest of the Christian, not because you look the best, but because you genuinely have a walk with God. And then life hits. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, God, what do I do? And now you're not even going, God, what do I do? But at that point, you're going, why would you do this to me? Now the anger sets in. Now all these things, but God, I go to church. But God, I do this. But God, I serve in the nursery. But God, I do this. But he says, but I'm right here. Our struggle is we don't know him. Therefore, we don't have the faith to continue to allow him to carry us through the situation. Are we tracking? We, we tracking? I'll close with this thought, and I've said this several different times, but as we look at our maturity and we look at who we are, if I were to take, which I don't have one, but if I were to take a seed, take a little itty-bitty seed out of an apple, take a seed out of an orange, take whatever it is, and I just place it up here and just put it on the piano, will anything happen to it? No. Is it still a seed? Yes. The seed is still a seed. It is complete in what it is. It's just going to sit there, though. But if I take that seed and I dig a little hole and I give it the dirt and I put it and I give it all the nutrients that it needs and I do that, that seed eventually completely dies, breaks open, and then it begins to sprout. And it becomes whatever it is that it's designed to be. It's no different than you and I. That seed is complete in exactly what it's supposed to be. It is an apple seed. It will become an apple tree. But if I leave it sitting right here, it will never do anything but be a seed. How many seed bags are at the grocery store or wherever you go get seeds? There's seed bags everywhere. There's little ones. There's big ones. There's all kinds of them. If you leave them in the bag, they don't just miraculously begin to produce anything. Why? Because they weren't put in the ground. They can't die the way that they're supposed to die to open up to then sprout the way that they're supposed to sprout. It's the same thing with you and I. You are complete in Christ. But the only way to grow and sprout and produce and mature the way that we're supposed to is when we die to ourselves. That isn't like one time I died. No, that's every day, every moment of the day. And God begins to break us open. And God begins to cut us. And God begins to conform us exactly the way that he wants us. And then we begin to produce. And then we begin to sprout. And now what? Man, there's life. There's all kinds of things that come from that. But we understand that I'm complete, but we understand that we have to die to self to be who God wants us to be. And as we close this morning, there's a lot that's been thrown out there. Our purpose and our path, that we are complete in Him. And as we look at this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, We have all of these different things, and in Romans 8, my last point is this, that God is for us. When we stop and we look at victory and having a victorious life, and we begin to think through all of these things, Christ died, rose again, which is our ultimate victory we talked about several weeks ago at Easter. Then we looked at just being justified that that God has, has has sought after us, that he died for us, that he gave us hope that we could have everlasting life, that we could be declared righteous before an almighty God. And we looked at this path and we looked at these purposes and we looked at all of these things. And as we get to this point, sometimes it's just good to know that somebody is for you. And God's word in this passage of scripture comes from, uh, we go from 28 and 29. We look into 30 and it says, whom he did predestinate, then them he called, or also called, and whom he called, he justified. We looked at that whom he justified, he also glorified. In verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? This is so much security. As a child, I had great security because I had great parents. There's never been a moment in my life that I never that I ever stopped and this is uh, just being honest, there was never a time in my life where I did not think that my parents were for me, ever. I, I get that not every person that sits in this room has had that same situation. I understand that. But one of the greatest things in my life was knowing that my mom and dad had my back, if you will. Every time I played a sporting event, my parents, we there to encourage to help hey i am for you i am for you do you know how i knew that they were for me not because they said that they were for me but they acted upon being for me they financially supported it they drove me to and from practices they did things my dad or my dad would go outside and we would throw ball back and forth for hours after hour after hour after hour we did things. I don't know why we did things. We would stand on one side of the house and on the other side of the house, and we would throw a ball on the other side so that when we would see it, we would have to react. I don't, know, I don't know that any of this makes sense. I'm looking back now, and I'm going, why? How do I have eyeballs? We would find a spot in the middle of one of the trees, and the goal would be to throw it through the hole so that the other person could catch it. I could tell you one thing. I don't know that I learned anything out of that. But if you put a glove up, I could hit it without you moving the glove. I knew that my dad was for me. Why? Because he spent time investing into me. Listen, there was things as a child growing up, and now as an adult, as a 37-year-old man, I'm telling you right now, I know without a shadow of a doubt, my parents are for me. My parents are for my sisters. I don't even question that. But I have a greater thing. God is for me. Do you know why I know that? If we look in this passage of Scripture, there is no doubt in my mind that God is for me. It goes on in this passage of Scripture. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son. How do I know that he's for me? He let his own son die on my behalf. Is there any other greater thing that somebody could do on your behalf than to die? I know that God is for me. Why? Because he sent not his son. He didn't even spare his son on my behalf. Man, I mean, I can scream and shout that my God is for me. I can have confidence in that. That God is for me so much so that he sent his son to die upon the cross. I love the reality, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Jeremiah 20, 11, that he knows, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God knows, he's, he's already set this all out. He is he, he, he's so much for me that he set out the plan all long before I ever even existed. He knew before I was in my parents' womb, he knew before my parents were born, he knew before their parents were born that Aaron Flanagan was going to be born, and this is exactly what he's going to do. He already declared there was a, there was a foreknowledge of what would take place. Man, that is, that is security. That's encouraging to know that God knows those things. But he, he's so much for me that he gave his son. He's for us in that he justified you. He has declared you as righteous. We have been declared righteous. We are complete in that. We have been chosen by God, and God will not turn his back on us. We know that as we go through this scripture, this passage of scripture, that God is for us and that he is interceding on my behalf. I've said this many times. One of the great joys of any of us in this room is for somebody to look at you and say, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you. I just want you to know that I'm praying for you. Man, to me, what a humbling thought that anybody would lift up my name before God Almighty. That somebody is interceding. But I know that God is for me. Why? Because right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father is Jesus Christ interceding on my behalf, interceding on your behalf. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding for you. Man, that should make you excited. That should make you have some security in who you are, that you are complete in God. Not only that I will stand before God and God doesn't look at me and say, well, Aaron Flanagan, you have done all of these heinous things. No, he looks at me and he sees me pure. He sees me righteous. He sees me holy. He sees me because I've been justified. He will look at me, not looking at me, but he will look at his son and the blood that was shed on my behalf. God is for me because of that. He's for me and that he's interceding. And this morning as we wrap up, He is for me in that He loves you. There is nothing, it says in this passage of Scripture as it closes out, and I know I didn't read all of this, and and it says in 37, Nay, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Him, what does it say, that loved us. For I am persuaded there is neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning, as we kind of wrap up this service, know that God is for you. The trial that you're facing today, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean any of those things, but what it does mean is that God is making you exactly what he wants you to be. And it may be that trial that you recognized and you said, oh God, I recognize my need of you. I recognize that I have fallen away from you. I recognize that I don't know you as Savior and you are, you are pulling me. I'm, I'm seeing my sin. I'm seeing all of these things and I'm recognizing my need of you. Everything that we face is that God would pull us to a a place that we would understand our need for Him. And as we do that, we would glorify Him. This morning, maybe that's just where you're at. As we look through all of these different things, that we are to, to know Him in relationship to Him, that our purpose is that. But yet, yes, there's this path that we're going through. Yes, there's this conforming that we're going to. And all of these things It's to help us to see that I am complete in him. Listen, you can have victory in Christ. You can live a victorious life because you are complete in him. I know that because God is for me. Why? He sent his son. God is for me in that he desired to justify me. God is for me in that he loves me. There's nothing that can separate me from that. Man, listen this morning. God is for you. Maybe you sit here as a person that does not know Christ as Savior. And this morning what you have recognized is that you have a need of an almighty God. Can I beg you, can I ask you this morning, do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning? Maybe you are in the process at the very, very beginning where you would say that I, I don't know why I came today, but and I would say, like I said already, that God, the Holy Spirit, is kind of tugging on your heart and brought you here. You're recognizing some of those things. And maybe this morning you would say, Pastor, I, I have a better understanding that I see a need of a Savior in my life. Maybe this morning as a believer you would say, Pastor, I already know Christ is my Savior. But if there's anything, I'm I'm seeing a need for a relationship. I'm not I wasn't saved just so I could I wasn't married so that I could have a piece of paper that called me married, and that one day, 50 years later, we we both passed on and we had a great life, but neither of us knew who we were. But we were married for 50 years. Man, that's many Christians today. You've been made complete. 20 years later, you've never done anything more than just saying, I went to church and I I accepted Christ as my Savior. God wants a relationship with you because He wants to know you. He wants to mature you. He wants to grow you. He's conforming you in that. Maybe this morning you would just say that, Pastor. I know Christ, but there is no relationship at all. I've not taken those steps, and I know that I need to do that. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.